I wonder if you have ever had a time in your life where you felt like you've hit rock bottom. The dictionary defines uh, that phrase as the most unhappy that someone has ever been in their life. Uh, and uh, it's not really the, the kind of thing we like to think about on a Sunday morning when we've come to church, is it uh, hitting rock bottom? But uh, these things happen and they're painful when they do. Maybe it's the end of a relationship. Maybe the death of someone close to you. Maybe financial disaster. Maybe the consequences of your actions finally catching up on you. I don't know what it was for you or whether you even feel like you've been there. I suspect if you've lived long enough, You've certainly had your fair share of rock bottoms, maybe even more than once. It's a tough place to be. There's nothing really good that can be said about it when you're sitting there in dust and ashes, lamenting that it's come to this. How low can you go? And when you're down there in the pit of your despair, it can be hard, can't it, to see a future, to wonder what the point of it all is, to have any sort of hope. But when we get to chapter 40 of Isaiah, that's exactly what the prophet is trying to do for God's people. He's trying to give them a prophetic word of hope as they uh, experience or are about to experience their lowest ebb. For, for God's people, the exile, which Isaiah has said is coming, and which at chapter 40, uh, the prophecy starts reading as though it has come and been completed, that is the lowest of the low of the low. That's, that's below rock bottom for the people of God. You'll remember back in uh, last week when we did that big chunk of an overview of Isaiah, that, it, that the last few chapters from about chapter 37 to 39, finish with uh, a, a king who seems to get it right. In the face of the threat of the Assyrians, he's faithful and he prays, and yet then he hedges his bed, bets and decides to buddy up with the Babylonians and trust in them by showing them everything that he's got to try and make an alliance with them against the Assyrians, and he gets severely rebuked for that failure to continue to trust in God by Isaiah. In verses 5 to 7 of chapter 39, Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up to this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. All that you have, all that you treasure, all that you believe about yourself as God's special people who nothing bad can happen to and you're going to keep this land because God's given it to you forever, it's all going to be gone. That is rock bottom. The northern kingdom of, uh, of Israel experiences it first as they're taken off into exile, and then the southern kingdom of Judah. As the Babylonians raid Jerusalem and take their people and their wealth off to exile, it's a devastating, devastating loss. Moved to a foreign country, forced into 
slavery? Is there any hope as Israel hits the bottom? Well, Isaiah says, yes, there is. For though the judgment of God will come, he's not done with you yet. Chapter 40, verse 1, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Yes, the exile is going to be rough. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, they're going to hard. Yes, they're going to lose everything that they love. But God is not done with them. That, that's the question that the people of God have to grapple with as they're carried off into exile. Is God done with us? Have we squandered his blessing? Is there a way back? Can we be restored? What, what's going to happen next? And the answer to all those questions is, no, you're not done with. And yes, God does have a plan for you still, even though you're at the lowest of lows. Why is it that God still cares for his people, even when they've done the worst of sins, even when they face God's judgment at the hand of the Babylonians? Well, it's because of who God is. It's really hard, isn't it, to kind of get your head around what God is like. In fact, as Christians, uh, part of what we believe is we, we could never do such a thing just by looking at the world and observing. We actually need God to reveal himself to us. That's what he does in the Bible. And in Isaiah, God reveals to his people, as he's promising that he's not done with them and that he's going to do this new thing with his people, that part of why this is, is because he is the unique Lord of the universe. Chapter 43, verse 10, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. We're now reading today, uh, in chapter 44, verse 6, this is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. And Isaiah repeats this again and again uh, in, uh, throughout chapters uh, 45 to 57. Uh, over and over, talking about... Uh, sorry, in Isaiah 45, 57, uh, in, and in... Hang on, what have I got here? I can't even understand my own notes. But he says it a few other times uh, in this section of Isaiah. God is unique. He's the first, he's the last. There's no one like him who can be so perfect in his justice and so loving in his grace. And he is the God who is not only uh, the first and the last, he's the one who made all things. Chapter 40, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on scales and the hills in the balance? God made everything, and he's so much bigger than even the, the land of the, of the world. He holds that in a basket. He's in control of everything, and greater than all the nations. Chapter uh, 
40 verse 15. The nations are like a drop in, the, in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Before him, verse 17, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. You know, you look around God's people at, at Babylon and at, at Assyria and go, wow, look at those big scary nations. But God thinks, they're nothing compared to me. I'm the first and the last. I'm the ruler of all things, the creator of everything. And I'm the most powerful in all the world. Chapter 44, verses 9 and 10. Those who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a god and casts an idols which can profit nothing? The world and these big scary nations, they chase after nothing. Idols. But you've got God, the first and the last, the ruler of all things, the creator of the universe. Not only that, but he controls the future, Isaiah goes on to remind the people in chapter 44. This is what the Lord says, verse 6, Israel's king, the redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I'm the first and last, apart from me there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it, let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God beside me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. God knows all things, past and present. He's in control of all things. He gives the people of God the, the rules by which to flourish. Uh, he rules the nations. He creates the world. He's the unique, all-powerful ruler of the world, Lord of times, King of the Lord of time, King of the nations. And He's a God who never forgets His promises, who never breaks His word, and that remains true even when God's people let him down. Which is why, at the pit of their despair, as they're carried off into exile, as they experience the judgment of God for their sin, the people of God can trust him still. For God promises a gift of restoration. We heard it in our reading today, the promise of new water that brings life and you see it throughout uh, this section of Isaiah chapter 44 verse 1, 1 to 5 listen my servant Jacob Israel who I've chosen this is what the Lord says he who made you who formed you in the womb and who will help you do not be afraid Jacob my servant for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing stream. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write, their will write on their hand the Lord's and will take the name of Israel. God has both the uh, unique ability and desire to save his people, to restore his people. But what's also remarkable about this section and about the nature of God is that when God does uh, promise to the people of God this 
a great gift of restoration and salvation to them in the, in the lowest ebb. When he says he's going to bring them out of exile, when he says he's going to pour out these, this water of life upon them, his gracious act is not just to bring salvation and restoration to Israel, but he promises that it's going to overflow beyond them to all the world. Just like God judged all the nations, remember that last week? God's got judgment for the Babylonians and the Assyrians and for all the surrounding nations of Israel. God's judgment comes on all, but his salvation too is offered to all. Chapter 45, verse 20, gather together and come, assemble you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods who, that cannot save. Declare what it is, uh, declare what is to be presented. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? Turn to me and be saved, verse 22, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. It's God who brings salvation to the world. And it doesn't matter whether you're an Israelite in exile, a Babylonian who ultimately gets judged, or a Tasmanian here today. In the end, each of us must bow the knee before God. And the only way to enjoy salvation and restoration is by turning to God and accepting his loving offer of grace and salvation through the waters of life. So it's a good promise, isn't it? You think you're God's people, you've hit rock bottom, you're in exile, you read these words of Isaiah and the promise is, I'm not done with you, I'm going to bring salvation, I'm going to pour out this new water. But how's that going to happen? When you, you know if you've been to the lowest of the lows, that sometimes you're not quite clear how it all is going to come to pass. Well, we get more of it as we'll see next week, but in this section starts the hint of a servant. A servant who will bring salvation and restoration. Turn to chapter 42, verses 1 to 7. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what the, Lord, the God, the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth and all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you I will, and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. God's going to bring salvation to his people, to the world, through his faithful servants. 
a servant who Isaiah talks about even more, as we'll see next week. But for now, I just want to remind you about how we've seen uh, in this overview of the book of Isaiah that the, the proclamation of judgment on God's people for not trusting him has been littered with hope. There's been the promise of this uh, stump, the, the, this faithful remnant of God's people. That was way, way back in chapter 6 that we first heard of a, a holy seed will be a stump in the land. And then in chapter 11, we, we see Isaiah say there's going to be a shoot that comes up from the stunt, stump of Jesse and from his roots a branch that will bear fruit. There's going to be this faithful remnant of people who stay faithful to God even in the midst of all of this and, and, and through that God's going to raise up this servant, this faithful servant who will bring God's blessing to God's people, God's salvation to a broken nation. And part of what Isaiah shows us in telling us the story of Hezekiah that we saw last week is that this servant can't be an earthly king. It's not going to be someone like Hezekiah because even he ultimately failed. The true servant will not be like anyone or anything they've seen before. And of course... uh, Isaiah 53, which I'm totally giving away next week, but if you look at that, you'll know that chapter well from uh, uh, Easter and Christmas. It's a story that speaks so clearly of the servant who was to come, of Jesus, God's gift to Israel and to all nations, the servant of God who brings salvation to the world, who brings refreshment and restoration and hope to the world, just as we heard in uh, the readings we had today. And Jesus picks up on this promise of refreshment and blessing in his own ministry. The kids are out there in LA Kids looking at John's Gospel, and it's in John's Gospel that Jesus speaks of him, himself, being the living water. You remember the story we looked at uh, when we were in John's Gospel of the Samaritan woman at the well in chapter 4 of John. And as uh, Jesus is sitting there, he says to the woman, if you knew the gift of God, verse 10 of chapter 4, And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And he goes on a little bit later in verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. That's the water from the well. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And a little bit later on, as we heard at the start of the service today in chapter 7, Jesus at the festival of booths stands up and says, which was a festival of remembering the the, the living water promised by God in the Old Testament. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. God's promise to God's people in the middle of the exile at the lowest of lows 
is hope, is the refreshing water of Jesus by his spirit. When God's people were at their lowest of lows, there was still hope. The hope of Isaiah is not realised for God's people when they return to Jerusalem as they do uh, after uh, some years in exile. The hope for God's people is realised when God sends his son Jesus to bring us the living water, to bring the refreshment that Isaiah talks about so clearly. And just as it is for them, it is for us. God sent his son, his servant Jesus, to bring us living water. And it's his living water. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit and trusting in Jesus' salvation and all the promises that that open up to us through him that give us hope, even at our lowest ebb, even when all seems lost. God's story for God's people doesn't end in exile. It doesn't end in our messed up lives. We never stay at rock bottom with Jesus. Because in the end, with Jesus, with his death and resurrection and his promise to come again and to restore all things and to bring us with him because of his kindness and goodness into perfection for all all eternity, there's always hope. God has already won. He won on the cross with his servant Jesus. And you can share in his victory if you simply believe. And when you believe, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within you. The spirit of God refreshes your soul, reminds you of his loving presence and encourages you to continue to trust him. Ministers to your heart and souls in ways I never can simply need to trust and believe. Just as God's people in exile needed to trust and believe. We too can do it, but we've got it so much better than them. They still had to wait. We receive God's blessing today because God has done what he promised to do. He sent his servant, he sent his son, Jesus, to die so that we can live. He sent his Holy Spirit to give us the water of life so that we know we're never apart from him. You simply need to trust. Amen.